Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Nicole Mitchell was a high school teacher, pastor, and now porn star. Welcome everyone to Deep Drinks Podcast. Today, I have a very uh, unique and special guest, Nicole Mitchell. Uh, You have seen Nicole on Dr. Phil, Jimmy Kimmel, Holly Randall, Unfiltered, and many other places. Her story is inspiring and unique, but also uh, contains elements common to many of us who grew up in a sexually prohibitive environment. Without spoiling too much, I would like to welcome the amazing Nicole Mitchell to Deep Drinks Podcast. Welcome, Nicole. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, David. So I, I first want to apologize formally uh, because when we first organized to do this, you were one of the first guests that I had on and I totally screwed up the dates and you were ready to go and I was in bed and I woke up to the emails and and then I felt it was so embarrassing to me, um, but I'm so glad you gave me another chance. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I think about it every time I go to email a guest now of that time I screwed up. So thank you for giving me another chance. You're so welcome. Thanks for being persistent. Pays off. <laughs> well, um, so your story is just absolutely fascinating. And you've been on Dr. Phil to, to tell it. Um, and and um, you've been on you know, many places. Holly Randall's uh, amazing podcast, Unfiltered. Uh, but I think I have a very unique kind of perspective because I kind of grew up in a... I was a pastor as well. I grew up in the very in very similar, I guess, environments. Uh, so I wanted to kind of get like a kind of a raw, unfiltered church perspective from you about your whole journey. Uh, but I, I would also like, you know, to this, this just be a casual conversation between us. Like we are just catching up over some drinks, which brings me to ask the question, what are we drinking today? <laughs> um, I'm drinking electrolyte water. <laughs> hey, and I'm drinking electrolyte water as well. I've got a Powerade here. And you know what? Originally we were doing coffee, but uh, I was I was actually happy that you changed it because let me tell you, yesterday we had uh, Kip Davis, Dr. Kip Davis on, who's a Bible scholar, and he wanted to drink rye whiskey straight, and we drank a lot of rye whiskey, and I am hungover, <laughs> so, oh <my> God. <laughs> so I need a little, so I need a little bit of uh, I need a little bit of electrolytes, I think. That's um, so. Uh, I wanted to dive straight into your into your um, story, but I wanted to ask you a question. You describe your sexuality as healing and sacred. Mm. Has it always been that way? Oh my gosh, I was so afraid of my sexuality growing up. I've been taught to fear my body, to fear pleasure, to fear anything related with sex, sexuality, sensuality. So my entire life, I was afraid of it and try to suppress it because. I was taught that that was the right thing to do. And it was only until a few years, a few years ago that I started to like return to my body and was wondering like, what is my, what is pleasure to me? What does feel good to me? Am I safe with my body? Am I safe with my pleasure? And I was pretty nervous going on that journey. And now being where I am today, it is like the most beautiful, sacred thing in my life. And I'm so glad I returned home to my sexuality returned home to your sexuality that's an interesting way to put it um obviously you know you probably know you know growing up in church the story of the prodigal son where you you know returns home after sinning do you ever feel um so you kind of flip on your head you're saying no i've returned home from church like i've i've left yes. that kind of environment that's interesting mm -hmm. okay 
So what? So go into a little bit more detail. Like what kind of um, what kind of environment was it that you kind of grew up in uh, when you were first? Um, I guess when you're when you're little, I guess when you're first coming into yourself. Like, how did you? What kind of church? We did you grow up in religious? Were, were your parents religious? Were you taught religious teachings? Like, what? Tell us a little bit about your, that. Yes, all the above. Um, okay. I was raised in a really religious, conservative home and community. I was raised Baptist, and um, very quickly picked up on the messaging of where I belonged as a young girl and woman. I saw all the women in the nursery or in the kitchen. No women speaking, no women teaching, no women preaching. That was not acceptable. And so I very quickly tried to become that good girl um, who they told me to be. And it was incredibly repressive, suppressive, and oppressive um, where you were exactly who they told you to be. There was no room for your voice or your autonomy or your own agency. And I bought it all the way through. And I was like the poster child for purity culture throughout the 90s and even into the 2000s. Um, trying to save myself for my husband. And when I did have sex before marriage, I felt horrible um, and like mm. a failure and tainted and ruined. And like, it, there's a lot of trauma that purity culture and just from my conservative religious upbringing had on me. Um, so, but for most of my life, I tried to adhere to the dogma that was passed on to me. Well, yeah. So I remember the, you know, um, I've asked my, my friends this myself, like I've asked my friends, like when, you know, when you're like a teenager and you're not like having sex, but you're like doing like hand stuff with people, like you kind of, you know, everyone's running around fingering each other and stuff. Um, like the, when that, when that first, when I first started doing that, I felt like tremendous amounts of guilt and, sh and shame and just felt like I was doing something wrong. But I talked to my friends like now that I'm, I just thought everyone had that experience, but a lot of my friend, my other friends didn't have that experience at all. The ones that didn't kind of grow up in that environment. Um, did you like, did you like when you first like had sex, or it was outside of marriage. Um, was it, was it like a, tr a huge amount of shame that came along with it? Like what, can you lead us down that path a little bit about like how I guess that first happened? Like, were you trying to, were you trying to stay pure until you're married and then you just kind of made a mistake or did you get into a long-term relationship or how did that kind of come about? Yeah. I, you know, I just want to agree with your point that, you know, exploring sexuality as a teenager is so normal and natural and it's crazy that we shame it um, and try to punish it or control it in religious communities at least in the ones that I grew up in. And so now that I have kids, I'm like, I, I'm actually excited for them to have yeah. the freedom to explore when they're of age and not carry guilt and shame on into mm. the years and adult years. Um, but from a very young age, I was always very like sexual. And I always joked that I was one big hormone with two little feet running around. Like I just like was a <laughs> horn dog. I was always horny. I was always turned on. I was always thinking about sex. And like everything they say about guys apply to me. Guys always think about sex. I'm like, well, I always think about sex. You know, guys are always mm. horny. I was always horny. So there was no room for my experience as a woman. But I identified with a lot of these like descriptions of male habits or whatever. Um, and I was so horny and I was so afraid. Like, because if you, if you, plan on having sex with someone that's like premeditation that's like double the sin not only did you have sex but you were planning on having sex so unfortunately yeah. my first sex was so anticlimactic i'm like so embarrassed by it it, it, it i would almost say ashamed of it but I, I see why i did it It was with a guy i wasn't even attracted to 
it was last second. It was in the backseat of his car. He did his 10 pumps and he was done inside of a condom. And that was it. And it, and it, but I felt a little bit freer because I didn't plan it. I didn't like, I didn't plan it. Like, so yeah. I felt like, whoops, it happened. Whoops, God, forgive me. So I, but Instead I felt of- horrible versus planning it, talking it through. That would have added too much for my psyche to handle to be that, in, like, that complicit in my own sexuality. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I'm so embarrassed by that story. It is nothing glamorous. It's, it's, <laughs> isn't it, isn't it interesting that like that I can totally like, it's the difference between like murder versus premeditated murder, like premeditated. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're going to prison for longer. It's like, yeah. but it's, it's funny that like, you didn't have a chance to really consider consent. You didn't really have a chance to consider protection. Probably like it probably just like, do you know what I mean? There was a lot of things that will actually put you in a much more dangerous situation because you had this perspective. If he had not worn a condom, I wouldn't have asked him because again, that's premeditation. That's you thinking through what do I want this person to do? And I didn't even know what consent was until I was 30 years old. I was five years into my then marriage and I first learned about consent and I was horrified. How can you live 30 years and be married and never know about consent? And then I was like outraged and like, because at that point in my marriage, I never said no to my husband because I didn't know I was allowed to. And I felt so violated. Yeah, I felt so violated. And so I was like, that's it. My babies will know from the time they are fucking born that they, like, consent is a thing. And my kids are very, very aware. They're very, like, I didn't say you could touch my body. Like, if I, like, touch their shoulder, like, come on, honey. And they're like, mom, I didn't didn't say you could touch my shoulder. I'm like, you're right. Like, they're so (laughs) connected to their body. And no one gets to touch or interact with it without consent. You're you're making... You're making so many conservatives furious right now. Okay. <laughs> I know. You know, you know that you know there's that that there's that um idea like you ask consent to like wipe your uh you know change your child's nappy and things like that. Um, there's like that whole idea. And look, I know that the baby can't hear anything, and it's, and it's kind of like there's some I guess some silliness to it, but it also kind of makes sense in a little way because you're kind of prepping them for like in a way that you're like that you're showing them that they have agency over their own body. There are no such thing as like that parents can just do whatever they want. Yeah, um, they're their own person. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I have to shout out um, Derek uh, Lambert from Myth Vision. Um, when I, when I told him that I had you coming on, he was like, he was like, I'm so jealous. Cause he shot you an email, um, a, a couple of emails, apparently a year ago. And he said, he just said then, um, you just sent a super chat. Thank you, Derek. I loved um, her story and the fact that she's tra- so transparent today. I'd love to interview her on Myth Vision. Um, Myth Vision is a big channel, so I um, go. He's a great guy, great friend of mine. Um, I'm sure that send another email. Send another yeah, email, send Derek. Another email. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot going um, on a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I bet you've had a lot going. You've you've done a lot of like big steps forward, even since I've been following you. Like, did you just recently release your first? um sex like sex scene yeah re-released i released it i don't remember when i released it maybe a year ago but it was only one time and now i'm like i should re-release it it's so good and it's so authentic um so i re-released it and because i have a bunch of new followers so most people haven't seen it and i'm like everyone you should see this <laughs> yeah i uh i um i 
because I remember because I haven't I haven't subscribed to your OnlyFans or anything. I'm um, not that I'm against it or anything, but I've seen what you share on Twitter, and um, I saw I, I t- like got that image that you sent where you're like, oh, in my sex scene, and you like covered your nipples, or whatever. And I was like, sent it to my um buddies. It's like, check out my new guest for deep drinks. I'm like, no way, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because most of the people I have on are like you know we're, we're, we're like you know like Bible scholars and stuff, but it was mm-hmm. just such a t- different transition. So, so um um. Uh, so jumping like so when it came to um consent i want to talk a little bit about that like how did you not know about consent for the first 30 years of your life like that is i mean obviously there's a difference i guess between um and and you can talk as much or as little about this as you want but there's a difference between like your husband saying we're having sex now and then you have to do it versus like just touching him when you don't want him to and then you feel like you have to just let him touch you Mm -hmm. um and of course it goes both ways but so can you explore a little bit for us what that what how you didn't know about consent for the first 30 years of your life i think Um, it's honestly part of the patriarchy and religious dogma i think it's actually part of the plan a great way to control an entire group of people is to teach them they don't have control over their body so you literally mm. do not teach them any concept of consent and in fact you go the other other extreme and you teach them that they are responsible for what people do to them so I was taught I was responsible for how men view me, how men think about me, and how men treat about me. Men were never given the responsibility. So I was always trying to cover up or apologize if they did something wrong to me. Like I would apologize for their harm. And so when you're mm. constantly taught that, and I remember one time I was with this adult that I really respected, and I saw a funny shirt that said, not tonight, honey. And I pointed to him like, oh, that's so funny. And she's like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. You give it when he wants it. Like little things like that, which maybe for most people, it was a blip on the screen. For me, that's seared like, oh, oh, okay. I guess whenever he wants it, I have to, okay, okay. Good girl script, Mm. good girl script, right? And then it wasn't until five years in my marriage, I was with, a, I I just made a bunch of new girlfriends and they're all married and they're saying how they say no to their husbands all the time. And I was like, you say no to your husbands? And they all looked at me horrified. Like, you don't say no? And I was too embarrassed to admit to what, what I was thinking is I didn't know I could say no. Like I thought Mm. it was like my biblical mandate to be a good wife. I always had to say yes. Granted, my ex-husband is a really good guy, good man, good heart, good energy. And I don't think he ever knowingly took advantage of me. But the fact that I, whenever he asked, no matter if I was angry, moody, frustrated, exhausted, overwhelmed, it was an instant yes because I was taught that. And I just wish there had been conversation in our relationship of like, is this what you actually want? Like, how do you feel? Mm. Are you in the mood yeah. for this? Like, kind of like make it more equal instead of centered on one person. Yeah, and I mean, like, I I can totally understand that, and I, I think uh, we uh, I interviewed um, uh, Alyssa Whitbeck Alexander, and she has she's grew up in a really strict Mormon church. They didn't kiss, I don't think, before their wedding day. They didn't have sex before their wedding day. They they got married in the temple. She'd never drunk coffee. Like, really, really, really strict, and. On her honeymoon, she was Googling marital rape because she was being raped essentially. But 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 it, 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 in a weird in a weird way, they, oh, this is going to sound horrible coming out. But in a weird way, he didn't realize what he was doing either. Like he, they were so both sheltered in and not taught anything about sex at all that both of them became. They were both had no idea that you could just like that you couldn't just take what you wanted from the other person. 
Um, and uh, look, I, I'm gonna we're up to the section where I'm gonna do a little Bible Bible reading on um, <laughs> Deep Drinks podcast. So, so um, one Corinthians chapter seven. So uh, verses. Uh, Verses three, the husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife. Do not deprive each other um, except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So when I was a Christian, I, I read that and I was like, oh, that's kind of a nice system. Like, you you know, you, you, you give each other the needs. But obviously there's a darker side to this scripture and how it's being used by people. Um, ew. So, so yeah. it's, it makes me feel a bit cringe. So uh, these are some of the things that you kind of like came up against when you became a pastor. So, so right? So... When you when you became a pastor, it was a rebellious um, rebellious thing for you to do to become a pastor, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, because you know women weren't allowed to be leaders, so for me to knowingly premeditate, actively choose <laughs> to go on and become a leader within my church was like was seen as scandalous, uh, rebellious, um, dangerous, and. You can imagine if that's how my circle responded to me becoming a pastor. You can imagine how they responded to me going on to make porn. Um, but yeah, oh my gosh, there I am. There she I'm is. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to show you. I'm sorry to send you show, show this to you, show everyone. But I just wanted to show everyone that you are you were the real deal. You're preaching. Yeah. You're a pastor. And I have to say, your message was kind of nice. Everyone's I mean, in, baby. It was a good message. Everyone's yeah. in. I intentionally chose. That passage is about a eunuch. I'd never been taught about this eunuch my entire life. And I was in the church three days a week. This eunuch who was the first person to be baptized into the Christian faith. And he was an outsider in every way. He was a eunuch. He was from a different land. Um, and, and there's a third thing that excluded him from being in part of the kingdom. But he was the first to be included. And so that sense of precedent that the very, my precedent at preaching sermon was like, the very people that you think are excluded from the kingdom are probably the very ones who are in. So like mm. rethink your religion, rethink your dogma, rethink your beliefs. So even though I cringe um, at my past life, I do feel really good about the message I, I taught that day. Yeah, I, I, I like that. You can see that you're a good person even back then. Like it wasn't, yeah. it had nothing to do with yeah, your religiosity or anything. Mm -hmm. So you went on to train, did you do training to be a pastor? Did you go to ministry college or did you just get involved in leadership? I just got involved in leadership at my church. Um, for like five years, they mentored me into the position. And then it's during that time, I applied to seminary, um, and then I got went to seminary and got my degree afterwards. Oh, really? So yeah, what I degree just graduated, do you have? I just graduated from seminary in 2018, so it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and then I started porn like a year later. It's just like life is so crazy. Um, but wow, I got wait. <laughs> <laughs> that is, what? I didn't know that. That's crazy. I know. Most people don't know. I went to seminary so late or so recently. Yeah. So what do you what did what was your master's in? Um, I got it in social justice actually. I was gonna get my uh, MDiv, okay. but which is a four year degree, Master of Divinity, but then halfway like a year in, I was like burning out. I could tell I was kind of on the fumes of my faith, like the last remnants of it. And mm. so I changed my degree to um, a master's in social justice because it was shorter and I I've always had a heart for social justice. 
and then I got out of there. Well, so that's that's super interesting. I, I want to explore that more. Do you think that you were going? Well, first of all, Derek asked a great question as well. Um, uh, what do you label yourself today? Atheist, agnostic, theist, um, non-believer? Yeah, I would say um, spiritual. Um, it's so funny. I was talking to my partner. I was like, I think I, if people ask, I'd probably say agnostic. And he's like, I think you're more of a theist. I'm like, oh, something. Like, I hold it really <laughs> loosely. I'm just like, whatever. I think there is something out there, but I could be wrong is how I mm. view it at the end of the day. Yeah, and and that reason. So I'm just throwing a, a dart in the darkness here. But is 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 that belief? Is that just more of like a feeling? Like you don't. It's not like you've like looked at the arguments and rationalized the perspective of God. You just yeah, yeah. You just have like a you have a it's sense a that there must be something bigger. Yeah, I feel like there's something bigger. Whether it's God, whether it's love, whether it's my highest and best self, that's, I have no idea. But I think with anyone who's gone through an extreme life change, like I have, where you thought you had all the answers and now you think you, now you think all of that was bullshit. I think it makes you, um, hesitant to take, to cling too tightly to any new belief. So I have mm. my beliefs, but I, I hold loosely to them. Cause I'm like, if I was that wrong before I could be wrong again. And I'm constantly learning and evolving. So I, I just hold loosely to what I believe now. Mm, yeah okay that makes sense i i i've often said that I, I think i said one time that i would do anything for god i would murder my whole family if god told me to right which is a very strong thing to say and the only reason i said it <laughs> and this like freaked a lot of people my friends out but the only reason i said it is because they were asking me really like hard questions so i just went to the most extreme thing i could think of. extreme yeah 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 and and of course of course, my perspective was God would never ask me to do that. And my perspective was, which is kind of untrue because he asked Abraham to kill his son. But God would never ask me to do that. And also, um, I'd have to really know it's God, in which case, how could you deny God? Like, how could you deny God of anything? Um, but so it scares me that I used to think that. And now I'm pretty confident in my unbelief. So it's like, I don't, I'm, I, I, it's always like a little, like a little, like, don't be that confident because you once believed some pretty crazy stuff. So if, you know, always be willing to test, evaluate your beliefs um, and things like that. Do one you of think my, real quick, one of my course students said to me recently in one of my courses, and it, it really resonates. She said, and she quoted someone else, but the quote was something like, the older I get, the more I care about mystery rather than mastery. Mm. And that's how I feel. It's like the older I get, the more I lean into the, mis the mysterious and it's not about mastering it like I used to. That's cool. That's That's really yeah. cool. Do you think... Do you think going to seminary was part of you trying to save your faith or had your, had your faith already started unraveling then? Or were you, when did it start unraveling? I actually give credit to my seminary for helping me lose my faith. So I <laughs> wanted to go to seminary since I was in Bible college. I was already enrolled in seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary, which is like one of the most prominent conservative theologies in America at the time. Um, but I ended up, you know, moving overseas and getting a job. So I've wanted to be in seminary for like 15 years by the time I finally enrolled. And I think I was kind of running out of my faith and trying, like I, I knew I was meant to go to seminary, something I always wanted, but the seminary I went to was really liberal and it was interfaith. So we had Muslims, Baha'i, atheists, Jewish people, Christian, agnostic, and we're all studying scripture though. We're all, they're all there to study the Bible. And then we'd be in these Bible classes and each different segment had to bring their traditions interpretation of scripture and then i'd be in class listening to all of these segments 
and beliefs and cultures bring their interpretation and every single one was better than the one I had been taught. And I was this moment of like, I've been duped. I've been given mm. down the most whitewashed, hetero, male centric version of this. And the queer, the black, the the Jewish, the Muslim, the, the, the Baha'i interpretations were all better. And it was kind of like, I'm done. I'm out. I, I, plus I'm not white. I'm not a man and I'm not straight. So why am I, why am I holding so tightly to this, this interpretation that was passed down to me? Yeah. Christianity is a man's religion. Really yeah. <laughs> gives so much benefits to, to men. Yeah. Um, so, and it was, was it about this time that you kind of discovered that you were queer? Yeah. I realized I was queer in 2016. I started seminary in 2017 and I came out publicly in 2017. So I was like, everything was kind of like unraveling my whole identity around my sexuality, my whole identity around my faith, like everything I thought I knew to be true was all of a sudden kind of blowing up. And it was one of the most terrifying and ultimately healing experiences in my life because I, I, I realized my queerness before I questioned my faith. And when I realized my queerness, I thought, huh, if I can be this old in my thirties and thought I knew my sexuality all along and I was absolutely wrong, what else do I think I know to be true and I'm completely wrong on? And that's when I started to unpack and deprogram and question all the things I've been taught all my life, which eventually helped me walk away from my faith. Interesting. So do you, do you think that you were, uh, that you always had, I get you always were queer in a way, or do you think you kind of, de that developed over time or always you just queer. kind of noticed it? Oh yeah. Okay. I, looking back, it was so obvious. I had so many girl crushes. I was like making out with my girlfriend, one of my best friends in middle school, like, but because I was never, you know, I was never even exposed to the queer community. I didn't have vocabulary. I didn't have exposure. I didn't have labels. So, but so I just, I think I somehow knew to shove all that down um, and just repress it and be afraid of it. I was so afraid when I, in my Bible college, I had a crush on my girlfriend and I was so afraid of like, if this ever comes out, like shove it down, shove it down, shove it down because that's not okay. Like that's really mm. wrong. So yeah, I was there all along. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so, so yeah. So that must've been, you've gone through quite a journey. Let me tell you, like, <laughs> do you, do you ever like look back at like, and go like, wow, I've gone like such, I've had such a shift, I guess, in your perspective, like, I guess would it, would it, does it feel like a shift or is it more that you look at the outwards perspective of yourself and it looks like a shift? It feels like multiple, feel the same? Life, multiple lifetimes. I feel like I've lived okay. multiple lives and I feel like this version I'm living now was like the truest version I've ever had, but it, it is so far different from what I've ever been that it, that's the only way I can explain it. It's like, it's just a different life. And I almost feel like a different person um, than who I've ever been. And, and I love it. I feel like this is absolutely like the truest version of me and I can't wait to see where I go from here. The, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to like follow you in your journey. I love seeing, cause you, you have such a, um, such a freedom in what you post and you can really see that come through in what you, you do. Um, th there's, there's a comment, there's an interesting conversation to have around, um, you know, porn, uh, giving like, um, long-term consent, like the idea of like, people need to know what they're getting into when they go into porn. And there's obviously some problems in the industry and things like that. Um, but what I love about you is you've, you've definitely, and I watched your interview with Holly Randall, you've definitely taken the approach as, um, as responsibly for your own well-being 
uh, as possible. Like you've really taken it, you've only done whatever you wanted to do. You've taken it all into your own hands. And for you, it's be, it seems to be an outlet to explore your sexuality and kind of you use the word bless other people with a satisfying experience. Oh my God. Um, like yeah. That. Yeah. Like, um, it does feel like a, a way for me to channel my sensuality. And I, you know, I started my OnlyFans for me. It, it was not mm. to make money. It was not for, it was for me. It's like, I needed a platform that was private because I had a paywall. It just for me does like, what's it feel like to post sexy photos of myself? Do I like that? What's my limit? Do I want to show anything? Do I want to keep it all covered? Like it was just a play, a, almost like a playground for me to figure out, is this what I like? What do I enjoy? And it's been very much on my terms. And like, that's one advantage, I think, starting a little bit later in life is I feel very, very grounded in who I am and what I want. I regret not being able to do this at age 18. If I could relive my life all over, I would have been a sex worker right off the gate of high school. Like no doubt, either a stripper or an escort or something. But I think there's wisdom that comes with age and with lived experience. And so I, I, I appreciate that I started when I did because I just, it comes from such a grounded, integrated, truthful place for me. And I think that's why I can be in it for so long. I see a lot of girls come and go, come and go, come and go. And I, I just mm. stay because it brings me so much joy and meaning and satisfaction and everyone else gets to benefit from it as a result. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, chat GDP said, thank you for standing up for LGBT rights. Thank you so much for the super chat, chat GDP. I really appreciate it. And I have to know, are you a real person or are you actually the AI that created by Elon Musk? <laughs> <laughs> You're now going to forever wonder. <laughs> um, so I have a, I have a, a bit of a fun question. Um, uh, da, da, da. Uh, if you could put up a Bible verse in the background of your next sex tape, what would it be? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I it would probably be something erotic and explicit from like Song of Solomon or something. But I did just think of the one that like Jesus wept, I think would be kind of hilarious. Um, but... <laughs> 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 That's great. Um Thank you, Nitty. So <laughs> Nitty's great. Um so Iron Charioteer said uh, question for Nicole, what is the worst thing you've done to get a guy, um, to a guy to turn him off of you? So <laughs> before you knew about consent, did you ever do anything to, I guess, like, like to turn him down? Is that what that means? Or to mm, stop? I think, him I think, up? I think so. I think so. Like to, I don't know if I've ever done anything really terrible. I was really bashful and shy and I had a lot of body shame and sex shame. I didn't have a voice. I really didn't know how to advocate for myself. So I feel like anytime a guy was attracted to me that I wasn't into, I was really like, like coy, like, oh, thanks so much. I'm just like not interested. I can't tell a funny story though. I remember, cause I've had, you know, just a handful of guys pursue me over life, like lots of guys. And I remember at one point in my twenties, another guy had like really pursued me and I had no interest in him, but I couldn't, I couldn't just honestly say that. Right. Cause I didn't want to hurt his feelings. So my only excuse I could come up with that would give me an easy out was, Oh, I'm not dating right now. Right. Like I'm just not dating when I really want to say, Oh, I don't want to date you. So I said, I'm just not yeah. dating. And yeah. then like a month later, I met my, who would go on to be my husband. I met a guy, fell head over heels for, for him, 
the next month we started dating and the next month I was engaged. So two months after I told this man, I'm not dating, I see him at a party and I have an engagement ring on my finger. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> and it, it felt so bad. He pointed, he's like, so uh, that happened. I'm like, yeah, it happened. And that was that. Poor guy. Oh, geez. That's rough. So uh, you're, you're happily married now, right? No, so we, we got divorced. So my first, my then husband, we got divorced almost three years ago. Um, and I'm dating mm -hmm. someone now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, forgot one more. Oh, yeah. The, the question was, would you, um, you know, would you date a, a lady or is it purely sexual for you when it comes to? Um... Ooh, yeah, I would. So I identify as pansexual, bisexual, whatever, but pan's my favorite. And for me, what that means, I'm attracted to all people's like, whatever your gender is, whatever your orientation is, I'm just like a lover. So I could easily date a woman, a trans person, a, um, a non-binary person, a man, like I can date any of them. I, I'm attracted to all humans. Um, the person I am currently with is a man. Okay, cool. Oh, awesome. So, um, <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that when you were, I want to, I want to get to the part where you, you talk about when you first, first started doing, um, your like photo shoots and stuff, but I want to first ask you what, what were some of the things you saw behind the curtain, uh, at church that made you kind of start questioning, um, whether or not it was a valid, I guess, belief system or something you didn't like. Mm. I think for me, for my last church, <clears throat> I was in, this is a crazy thing. This, this last church. It was in like the 2010s to 2017. I was there, right? It's the first church I'd ever been to in my life that practiced or that said gender equality. That women oh. were equal to men. 2000, 2011 is when I went there. Like brand new concept. I remember when I was engaged to my then husband and he, we were having a conversation about marriage. He's like, I don't expect you to submit to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like, who am I marrying? Who is this like liberal? Like my whole life I've been groomed and, in, and trained and indoctrinated to submit. And I, I, I was so uncomfortable because I've been taught my whole life I'm not an equal. So when I went to this church, it was the first church I went to that preached equality. My mind was blown. They saw my leadership and my passion for theology. So they started mentoring me to become a pastor. And I was like so elated because I'd always wanted to be a speaker. But because women can't be preachers, I always called myself a motivational speaker, you know, to kind of like wiggle. Yeah, so dumb. Yeah, yeah, things, yeah. Right? I know. Um, I know what you mean. And then the more I rose up in the church, the more I saw what went down behind the scenes. And I saw, oh, they preach equality. They don't live it. They give yeah. all the, the passes to all the men, all the paid positions, all the best positions. And women were always kept down. And women were always given a million extra hoops to jump through. The finish line kept being pushed back. We were never being paid. It was just like, it, I just became more and more disillusioned the more I stayed there and the more I saw the discrepancy between what they taught and what they lived. And mm. it eventually got me to a point of, you know, I, I tried it for five years. I tried to play their game and I saw, oh, their game is that I never rise. I never win. And then I had mm. to pull out. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it is crazy because a lot of it's like subconscious for for you know these people like i i i've I experienced the same thing they don't re you don't realize how like i went to a, a family wedding just recently and it was like a lot of the you know you promise to submit to your husband and all and you know and you kind of like oh it feels kind of um like my wife and i we we have a very equal relationship like we we 
like there's no there's no gender roles essentially in our relationship. It, we tend to do gravitate towards certain things naturally. Like I'll, I'll I'll definitely pick up our dog's poos in the backyard and mow more than my wife does, <laughs> and she'll the definitely wash more than wash. <laughs> yeah, but it's not um. But yeah, there's no like there's no like oh no I'm the man I I don't cook or anything like that um. But and and I don't understand people who I'm not um sure I... my I I don't understand people who like have those those like roles in their relationship. It's it's weird to me. Like I, I have friends and family who are like, oh, my wife said no, and I'm like, what do you mean? She's you, you're your own person. Like, what do you mean? Like, you, you shouldn't be telling it. Like, the wife will say you're not allowed to go out with your friends or whatever night, and then he'll say you can't wear that out. And I'm like, what is this? This is such a weird world that you guys live in. I, I never understood it. Yeah, it, it, and I can say that, and I was part of that, and I and I totally mm. agree with you. Like, it was so subconscious. It was like, oh, okay, I should. I should cover my skin and like, oh, okay. I, you know, I just bought into it. And now that I'm out of it, it's like, now I'm like, how, what, why, mm. when, when did this ever become acceptable? Much less celebrated. Like in these, in these circles, it's celebrated to be submissive to your husband, to let him control. It's just like, it is so mind boggling. And it makes me all the more grateful that I got out of that. Mm. There's this story that I've told a million times, and people are going to be sick of me telling it, but I'm going to tell you because I think it's um it's a great story. But what what I discovered is I started interviewing um, uh, women who deconstructed their faith on this channel, and what I the common thread that I always find is that the purity culture stuff, like the you know, do you ever go through like when you're a teenager or a young adult, you went through like men's and women's groups where it's like, you know. And so in the men's groups, we would essentially have like a non, no masturbation clubs. We would install software in each other's like computers and to look, make sure we're not looking at porn. And we would text each other, pray when one person was feeling horny and then the other person would go and pray for them to stop the spiritual warfare. But what I didn't know is like, so we were kind of being told we're a predator and we're going to want sex all the time. We need to hold it back with, through the power of Jesus, of course. And women were told, you need to stop men stumbling because, and so if you wear a long skirt or you wear a, like a top that's a bit too low or whatever, you're going to cause um, a man to stumble or like they had, they had like my church had ones where it's like, they encouraged all the girls like this, this, this Sunday, we're all going to come to church with no makeup on. And it was like a big, like, Whoa, like, and it kind of pissed me off a little bit, to be honest, because I was like, it, it, it pissed me off not for the reasons a lot of people think. It pissed me off because why can't women be sexual deviants who also want to perv on guys and also, you know, like, why would they? Yeah, exactly. It it bothered me that it was almost like the inner feminist in me came out and was like, this is bullshit. Women can be disgusting, degenerate, like, perverts as well. And that's totally fine. And it, it's, it, it, it also creates this, like, environment where, Men are told that they're the predators and they need to hold back their emotions, right? Like the and and then they don't masturbate all week. And then Sunday comes around, and you know the older late older Martha who runs the library uh, st store at church has a top on that's showing one centimeter of cleavage, and they're like, I can't take it. And then it confirms all the 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 feelings that they had, and she feels that pressure getting perved on. So she's like, I've got to cover up even more. And it's like this self perpetuating like thing of shame and guilt and shame and guilt. And then like you know, as a as a young teenager, I would look at um, pornography and or, or masturbate and feel so much guilt and shame, like horrible amounts of it. Um, and none of my friends, my other friends were dealing with that.
and I think it created more problems than it um than it solved. Than it helped. Like, yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's so interesting. So I have three kids, age seven, 10, and 12. And my youngest is a boy so far. He can change, you know, unless that changes. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember someone was watching him and he wanted to watch Titanic, my seven-year-old. And the person watching him called me asking and told my son like, oh, we have to call your mom and ask if it's okay. And, and my son's like, why? And the person's like, well, because there's like a scene with a naked woman in it. And he's like, my son says, I see my mom naked all the time. So what? And I just mm. loved like, like even at this age, cause this is when like the pro, you know, when we program our children to think certain things. And like, at this point I knew to always cover, to always hide, to be, asha be ashamed. Whereas in my home, we've normalized the human body and to not be afraid of really? it. And like, if, the, if you see a naked woman in, in Titanic, we can talk about it. Right. And he would talk, he's like, why do our boobs look like that? I'm like, well, boobs look all different. Some have smaller, some have, and we have a whole conversation and there's no shame. And I just think of like how much that's going to serve them in the future because they're not, it's so funny for the work that I do. My kids aren't being raised in a hyper-sexualized home. They're being raised in a body positive, sex positive home where we can talk mm. about all these things and approach it from a really healthy, educated perspective. And it's just, I'm just so excited because I'm like, I can't wait to see how that serves them because I didn't have that growing up. And I, I always yeah. wonder how, how might my life have been different had I been raised with that kind of communication and understanding and education. So is there like nudity in, like, are you just happy to be nude in front of your children or your children be nude in your house? Yes, wow, like that's all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I don't even think twice about it. And it's so funny. I have this poster board right here next to me. You guys can't see. And I clipped out my favorite photos from 2022. It's my 2022 celebration board. And I have a few photos in there that have me partially naked for my photo shoots. And one of my kids asked me, mom, like, is that weird for the photographer to take pictures of you like that? And I was like, no, I pick really good photographers. They're really professional. I do it for my work. I'm really professional. And they're some of my favorite photos. And she's like, oh, okay. And so just provide, like, I love what I do because A, I love it. But B, it provides so many opportunities to have conversations with my kids that wouldn't otherwise naturally occur. And I'd have to find ways to force a conversation to occur. But they just, because I have lingerie everywhere, I have pictures everywhere, I have uh, dildos everywhere. Like we're just constantly talking about all things, sex and body and consent. And I just, they know more than I think the average kid. And I think it's really amazing. This, this has actually blown my mind a little bit because I never, I, I thought that, you know, I'm going to raise my, you know, our children. We just had a little baby boy Atlas, um, oh. and he's five weeks old and we're, you know, I was like, I'm going to raise them, um, to be, um, uh, body positive and free and you know i think someone even asked me like would you care if your daughter became a sex worker and i'm like actually i i, I wouldn't like I, I don't like i think if that's what they wanted to do like i would care if they were doing it because they were desperate or you know and they needed they needed money for drugs or something but that's not the sex works problem that's the you know so yeah if they if they were doing it in a healthy positive way i would have no issues with it and they were kind of shocked at that answer but i never considered the idea of totally destigmatizing nakedness like obviously a lot of cultures would have done that for many years and a lot of cultures still do it and it's probably really common in like europe and stuff but that's really interesting i'm going to think about that i'm going to show my, i'm going to show amy my my wife this video and get her thoughts on it because that's that's an interesting idea i'm naked all the time around my dog but i'm just yeah. i was i've always been wondering like at what age do i start putting clothes on around um well, my wife and i start putting clothes on around when, how old does atlas need to be that we start covering up you know it'll happen it'll happen naturally you know because my oldest at this point probably like mom 
put clothes on. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'll throw a robe on. But like my recently, my youngest saw me peeing because he walked by my bathroom and my door's open. And he's like, your pee comes out there or like comes out like that. <laughs> and I was like, yes. And he's like, oh yeah. I remember one time you told me that I, that you have three holes down there. Where are your three holes? So I pulled up my phone. I pulled up an anatomy, anatomy picture and I'm like, well, he's going to learn everything because there is no child leaving my house who does not know the anatomy of all genders. So I'm like, this is the clitoris. This is where the pee comes out. This is the vagina. This is where babies come out. This is where my blood comes out. And this is the labia. And he's like, well, why is there two parts here? I'm like, oh, that's the inner labia and that's the outer labia. And he goes, oh, that makes sense because one's on the inside and one's on the outside. I'm like, exactly. And he's like, cool. And then he ran off. And already <laughs> there, I'm like, he knows more than probably the average teen boy. Mm. And it happened from him to see me doing something natural, which is using the bathroom. And because there's no shame in my house, mm. it changed. It, it it's changed the way that I'm raising them. Yeah, there, there was a um a really horrible story um that from someone on um on Deep Drinks uh, recently. I'll just I'll just bring it up quickly. Um, where is where is it? Faye. So Faye um grew up in a Hasidic Jewish cult, and um they didn't learn about anything to do with sex, not even what sex was, until weeks before their wedding, before mm -hmm. they were having sex for the first time. And a lot of these these girls, there was this one hotel that all the Hasidic Jewish um, couples would go to, and for their wedding night. And there were, I think it was, she said there were two or three cases of women women jumping off the roof the next day afterwards because they were so traumatized by the experience of having sex. And of course, there was no, they had no idea what consent was. The man didn't know what he was doing, and they had sex for the first time. Were so traumatized that they killed themselves. And I mean, this is a large community, but still three deaths are three deaths. And it's it's horrible to think that but like she she was she lost her family because her mom caught her wearing pants as she was walking home from the gym. And her mom did a did a ritual, which was the, essentially a ritual to um to like if you if your child dies, you do that ritual. So she's like, You're dead to me because you wore pants. Like it's crazy what religious police can do. Um, um, in saying that, actually, it's probably a good time to mention you have a YouTube channel and it's not just all preaching. Um, you have some other stuff going on there. <laughs> of course, you have an OnlyFans as well. I, I'm not, I'm not going to bring that up, but it's linked in the description. <laughs> if you'd like to support Nicole and you'd like to, um, see Nicole's bits and, you know, have that pleasurable experience, go over there and, um, make sure you mention that you're from deep drinks so she can, yes. I would love like, that. Hey, that'd be so I funny. Knowing, I love knowing where my people come from. They can totally say that. Awesome. And of course you do, um, you do life coaching as well and, and a bunch of other really cool stuff. Um, and you've been kind of everywhere. Like you're, you're really good at marketing yourself. Um, so your website is, um, <laughs> Hey, that's an image. But, um, I was wondering if we get, get in trouble for that, but we will be fine on YouTube, <laughs> I think. But, um, yeah, check out your website, NicoleMitchell.com. Uh, and obviously, uh, your Instagram as well, which is full of the, the I guess the Instagram ready versions of your stuff um, from OnlyFans. Exactly. Something you did mention actually is that is you get you get your posts removed more than someone with the same image that's a guy on Instagram, right? Oh my god! Can gosh, you tell us my, a little bit about that? Yeah, the double standards are real. My male photographers, we can post the exact same photo, and mine gets taken down, and my account gets reported. Like. Like I'm warned, like if you violate our community standards, if you do it again, your, your account may be de deleted. 
but they, all my photos, the exact same ones I posted, all stay up on their account. It's crazy. And so I've, I used to fight against it because I'm, I'm just such a free spirit and like, speaking of consent, you can't tell me what to do. It's my page, my account. But at the end of the day, it's their fucking platform. They can do whatever they want. And so I just have to play safer. Um, cause people, what people don't realize is three, four years ago, you could post full news on Instagram as long as you just censored the tiny bits. Um, and then mm -hmm. it's actually during, during, um, political season when it gets closer to election, it gets really conservative and a lot of like, uh, pages and accounts and photos are taken down right now. We're in a really relaxed period. So now there's more nude photos I've ever seen in three or four years. And I'm like jealous because I want to post mine, but it's not mm -hmm. worth risking losing my account over. So I, I just play more safe to keep it. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. That's mm -hmm. very crazy. So you mentioned, um, you mentioned, uh, that you, the first time you ever took nude photos, I don't know if this is the first time, but the first impactful moment you took nude photos was when you were, you had big boobs from breastfeeding and you felt really sexy because of that. So you got a friend to take photos for you. Is that right? Yeah. I, I think if, again, I've always been super sensual and I, I had a girlfriend I'd see like once a year and for whatever reason she would like, I'd ask her to take naked photos of me. And I do, I, when I had my breastfeeding boobs, they were so big and luscious. I would call them my porn star boobs. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> I love my porn star boobs. And then, you know, after I, my kids were done breastfeeding, they shrank to even smaller than what they were originally. And I was so sad. Um, and yet wasn't, had never really considered, um, getting a boob job until I moved to California and out here, plastic surgery, like everyone has plastic surgery out here. <laughs> and I actually love it. Women out here know what they want and they let themselves have it. There's no mm. question. Whereas in the Midwest, our highest goal is to like deny ourselves, sacrifice, be selfish, like put like suppress your desires. But in California, it's like, I want that. I'm going to have it. And so that being in this space gave me permission, like, Oh, well, I've always loved big boobs. And it's normal here. And that's what gave me the courage to finally get a boob job. And they're still smaller than my breastfeeding boobs. Because um, mm. like, my, my breastfeeding ones gave me headaches. They were so full. And so I went a little bit smaller. Yeah. I uh, I, I see Amy, like, come out of the shower now or whatever. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what? Like, whoa. Like, what? Like, you know, it's like, whoa. Okay. Hello. Yeah. At least for me. I love big boobs. Yeah. I, I was obsessed with mine. <laughs> I, like, I like all kinds of boobs. I'm, I'm right. a very – I like – I like anything, to be honest. Um, I'm a, I'm a quite, <laughs> let me just say I'm a passionate man when it comes to ladies. But so you you had these photos taken, and then eventually you decided to get a, a professional photo shoot. Tell us what what was it like? What was it about? Yeah. So for years, I had my girlfriend take these photos, and I had nowhere to share them. So I just keep them on my phone just for me, and I look at them now and then. I'm like, oh my god, these are so beautiful. Like I wanted the world to see these. Um, and then so when OnlyFans came out, I mean, I didn't learn about OnlyFans until 2019, and when I did, I was like, oh my god, this is an answer to prayer. And then when I moved to California, no one here knew who I was. So it was like a fresh slate for me. No one knew I came from a religious background. No one knew I just left my big mega church. Like I could be anything I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a model. I wanted to be an actress. I've wanted to be those things since I was a little, little girl until I was taught that those are vain and shallow pursuits and interests. And I was reclaiming my desires. And I was like, well, I want to be a model. I mean, I'll just like dabble. Like I'm, I'm too old. I'm too short. I'm too late, but I'll try it. And so I booked um, with a photographer I've been following for probably a year and I loved his work and he does fine art nude. And so I, he came to California, we did a shoot, I did a total nude shoot. And I, as soon as we wrapped up, I got my car and I bawled. Cause I was like, I have never felt more holy, 
more pure, more true in this moment. Like there's literally nothing between me and God. It is just me as I was fucking born. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a nude model. I want to do this like this. I want to do this. And so that's kind of what burst this like dabble with modeling to like, no, I want this to be full time. Mm -hmm. Well, wow, that's super. That's actually super interesting. Um, 91.5% of men and 60.2% of women reported having consumed pornography in the last month. It's like, it's like, it's, it's so funny to me that everyone enjoys it, but it's such a taboo for people to participate in it. Almost. People are so afraid of pleasure, especially in religious and conservative se sections, like so afraid of feeling good. And I think we have this like collective fear that as soon as it's going to feel good, it's too good to be true. The other shoe's going to be dropped. The rug's going to be pulled out from other under you. Nothing good ever lasts. Like we literally have these these quotes in our world in our country that betray our ultimate belief. Nothing good lasts, and once it feels good, something bad's going to follow. So if you don't want something bad to happen, then you're going to suppress the good. And so part of my journey has been learning to like expand my capacity for pleasure feeling safe with feeling good. And now I get a lot of people who sign up for my digital courses or sign up with me as a client, as a coach, client relationship. They want to learn how can I live a life that's rooted in pleasure, where it's just there's more and more and more pleasure and nothing bad has to happen and I don't have to sabotage it and there's no cost to pay for it. Like it really gets to be this good. And so that's one thing I love about my porn or my adult content that cre I create because it is so authentic and is born from like, my truest self, I think it's so refreshing for people. Cause like when you come to my space, when you come to my OnlyFans, we can talk about all things sex and all things spiritual. We can talk about your kids and your kinks, your fears and your fetishes. There's nothing off limits. And in most adult spaces, you can only talk about things, all sex. But in my space, I want to know all of you. Like when I said, tell me that you came from this podcast, tell me where you found me. Like I actually care about you and I want to get to know you. And I think that's such a unique thing that people like me and platforms like OnlyFans can offer the world. And I think it's actually going to give people what they need they or what they're looking for. They get the pleasure and they get the connection. And I'm hoping that will mm. help dispel the shame a lot of people carry and feel more good in their body, more good in their pleasure and freer to consume it, freer to experience it, freer to give it. And I think the whole world will benefit from that. Mm. Did you did you find that your um that after your you know, you started doing new modeling and, and started opening up a lot more and now you you know you're doing um uh you you re-release your sex tape do you find that you're actually more I guess free um like have you have you found that your sex life has actually gotten better um oh gosh. so much better when I say make like I make love like a porn star it's like the truest statement. The most accurate statement and That's the so sex of my life like <laughs> I, it is so fucking good david and like it's weird to like toot your own horn or brag about your own sex life but it's because mm. i've been on the other extreme where i yeah. was so ashamed of my body and so afraid of sex that like i was not fun to have sex with right i was just so mm. locked and now to be so free and I know my body really well, I know my kinks, I know my fetishes and I'm really open. I'm always open to exploring. I'm really fun to have sex with. And mm. it's like healing for me and it's healing for people I've been with. Like to see how free and happy and unashamed I am, it sets other people to feel like, oh, 
shit, I can love it this much too. And it's okay to love it this much too. And like, it's okay to have curiosities and want to explore more things. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And yes. Mm. I've been an appreciator of adult cinema a few times in my life. Um, and you can actually really tell the difference between someone who uh, enjoys the, is enjoying the, the experience, like the, 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 the whole, the whole, they, they, they would be doing it without getting paid versus someone who is there because they feel um, they want the attention for, I guess, whatever reason, or they need the money or something like that. Like you can, you can see the difference between a healthy, uh, a healthy approach to engaging in like pornographic material or adult sex work and 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 what comes across is like someone's not enjoying this as much like they're faking it right um what do you think do you think there needs to be a conversation that needs to be had around uh pornography and how it's kind of pervasive amongst uh like how it's kind of uh i guess some parts are glamorized like do you, and some parts um I'm, I'm i'm finding hard to come up with a good question but do, um do, do you see that like any issues in the landscape at the moment? Like, do you think that there needs to be a conversation to be had around um, sex work? Obviously the answer is probably yes, but you're, you're, you're already, you're already having that conversation and you're trying to promote, I guess, a responsible, freeing, mm. open, explore your body, like no shame approach, which I think is great. Do you think there's another side of the coin though, where people need to, understand the long-term ramifications of maybe um if they're not ready emotionally to have sex or to have sex on camera or to even show themselves um being naked do you think there needs to be a, have a conversation on both sides yeah there's a few things here so one is you know at the end of the day sex work and porn is a job like any other job is a job so whether someone does it out of passion like me or someone does it just to pay their bills i think they both can be healthy i don't think hmm. it one, one is unhealthy. Just like we all get a job at some point to pay the fucking bills. Doesn't mean you're unhealthy or you're doing- Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's legit. So I just have to be really, really privileged that I can do it out of passion and mm. that I was able to choose it on my terms. I didn't need it for the money. Like I think it's a total legit path if you need money and you're cool with like using your body in that way, go for it. I, I have a lot of privilege on my platform and I came into it in a digital era where I could perform it all online, right? If I had started this when, when I was 18, like I sometimes wish I could have, I would have been in person, whether as an escort or as a stripper. And that there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of middlemen and you're at way more risks. And so I know I hold a lot of privilege as an online performer. I That naturally eliminates most risks, risks that a lot of other adult performers and um, sex workers have to face in their in-person workplace. Um, and so I think that's the part of the conversation. Like I always want to acknowledge my privilege and people know like mine is just one tiny, my, mine is just my own experience. There's as many experiences as there are many as there are humans. Um, but I wish more people would realize it's just a job, like in so many ways. And if that's your ticket to get money paid and to get your, or to get your bills paid and to make money or to, it's the only job you can see yourself doing. I think that's totally legit. And sometimes people say to me, like, um, how could you like sell your body and use it that way for work? And I'm like, don't we all sell mm. our bodies? Whether you're mm. a doctor using your hands and your brains and your eyes to perform surgery, or you're a dentist using your hands and your eyes to do oral 
care or your oh, server serving food. We all use our bodies for work. It's only the fact that you have stigma and shame around sex work that you would ask a sex worker that. But we all use our bodies and we all use our bodies to make money. It's really interesting that because I couldn't form the question very well, that there's still like must be some underlying like um, underlying religious thought or something going on in my brain where I equivocated that I didn't pick that up that that yeah it is just work and I was just like oh you know someone's doing it because they need the money where I, I kind of view that as a I kind of portray that as a negative thing just so everyone knows I'm very new to this conversation I, I wanted to have Nicole on here because she's uh ex 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 has thought about this a lot you say that you think too much about things and I can relate um so uh yeah it's it's interesting how this this conversation is actually getting you to think a lot about I think this is more beneficial for me than anyone else the, the, I'm, just, I'm really getting to think a lot about the kind of perspectives that I hold about I thought I was pretty progressive but I, I guess I guess I got more to think about this is, this is super interesting me too um, I like you know on Twitter I follow almost all sex workers because I I mm. knew this I've only been in this field for three and a half years there's people who've been in it for decades and they've seen mm. the evolution and like I want to know where I, where I've come from, like all the shoulders I'm standing on, all the giants who came before me and paved this way where I could have so much freedom and privilege and safety and and profit. Um, when mm. so many sex workers have struggled over the years, and so like I, I am constantly learning and constantly being educated, and um, and I love it. Like I'm like, please don't stop. Please keep teaching me so that we can all make this world a better place. Is there, is there, um, you mentioned the greats. Are there greats that you particularly look up to? Like people that you found, that you find inspiring? Yeah. Who are they? So my, probably the three or four, there's four. So there's Jenna Jameson, there's Pamela Anderson, there's um, Angela White, and then Elle Stanger are my four probably favorites. And Jenna Jameson is fucking rad. And I didn't learn about her until like two years ago. And all my friends were horrified. I hadn't heard about her, but we, you know, my upbringing, how would I know who porn stars were? I, didn't know, I yeah. couldn't even watch cartoons as a kid. There were certain cartoons I couldn't watch because they were too, too much, you know, for my family. So when I learned about these porn stars later in life and I'd read their, their autobiographies or their memoirs and I would see all the shit they went through. And I'm like, my heart breaks for them and yet i'm so proud of them for being so badass and so powerful and like still choosing this path that most people say you're broken or busted to take this path after all they went through and now i'm at this point in time where i have so much privilege and ease of access to everything and i have to give credit where credit is due and it's people like jenna jameson um even pamela anderson i watched her documentary and i was like oh my god this like sex symbol we thought i thought was so inspiring she was absolutely torn to shreds and ruined through the process and not at her faults, right? It was all used mm -hmm. against her. And it's like, I don't, you know, I've had it used against me, but I, we live in a little bit different era than she did. And then Angela White is like the current, the biggest porn star right now in the adult industry. Mm -hmm. And I always joke, had I been raised in a non-Christian home, I would be Angela White. Like she yeah. is the, like in the traditional porn industry, that's me. That's who mm -hmm. I wish I could be if I did things traditionally or in, in, in person. Yeah, and Angela White is um uh is the goat like in regards yes. like I've, I've I've done she's really well um well spoken and she's she like finished her degrees in Melbourne in Australia um on uh, I think it was I can't remember what her degrees were but like she's got a really like she really knows like what she's doing in regards yeah. to like she's an amazing performer um but she's also incredibly 
um like she 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 sets the rules she doesn't like she she went into it like a business and yeah i totally she's understand. a brilliant businesswoman right she has her own production team she, she produces and directs her own porn and like it, she's incredibly smart and i also related to her because she's wanted to do this and she was a teenager and no mm -hmm. one understood her and i'm like oh my god i can so relate because in middle school i would talk to my girlfriends how i wanted to be a stripper someday thinking everybody wanted to be a stripper because i was so <laughs> sexual and they all looked at me like horrified and I was like oh everyone doesn't want to be a stripper like <laughs> yeah. I so related to Angela when she's like I've wanted this for since I was a little girl yeah it's so it's so funny I I have so many stories myself of that like not not um not exactly not the same as that but like just things that I thought were normal but they weren't normal like the shame and stuff around um uh, sections and stuff like that is a big thing um so when you were so so You've, you've probably gone through a lot, right? So um, when it comes to deconstructing your faith, was that a hard part of your journey, deconstructing your faith? Yeah. Um, and I'm learning all that stuff? I was terrified. You know, like I was about to release everything I knew to be true and all the people that came with it. Because when you leave your faith, you're not just leaving your faith, you're leaving your community, right? Mm. And so I, I, when I was in my first year in seminary, I was constantly asking my professors and my classmates, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, what if my, what if I'm traumatizing my children? What if they grow up and they hate me because I pulled them out of the church? Like, because when I pull them out, like they lose all their friends. Um, yes, agree, Sylvia. And I, I did, I proudly identify as a slut, right? Like I reclaimed that term, <laughs> but you're totally yeah. right. Um, and so I was constantly questioning, what if I'm doing this wrong? And I'd have my professors and classmates say to me, they like, I wish I was raised in a home where my mom openly talked about this stuff, where she would have shared with me, I'm questioning, I'm not sure. I used to believe this, now I'm not so sure. Like, like I would have felt so much freer and safer as a kid had that been my my home. And I, I would try to like cling to their words because I was still so scared. What if I'm making the wrong decision? And then after a couple of years, I'm like, oh, I think I made the right decision. And now I'm like, oh my God, that was the right decision. But there were a couple of years there where I was a little wobbly because I was leaving everything and everyone for the unknown. And I had no idea where it was going to lead me, had no idea I was going to be making adult content. That wasn't, I, that was not the intention. The intention was who am I underneath all the dogma? Who am I underneath all the indoctrination? What do I actually want out of my life? And lo and behold, yeah. let me hear. Wow. So did you have a, did you feel like you had a personal relationship with Jesus or like, or was it more? So how did that, do you still feel like you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Like how did that develop? No, so, I was like a total Jesus freak. Like I, I was so, I felt so guilty having sex in high school. I only had it a handful of times with a couple different guys. And I felt like a horrible slut, horrible human, horrible future wife. So I, I went, became celibate for six years, self-imposed celibacy. I didn't date at all my entire four so years. So did I. <laughs> like, Same thing. I, I had sex with my high school girlfriend and then like five or six times and then was celibate until like from 16 to like 20 something. Like, like yeah. the experiences we were robbed of, David, it makes me <laughs> so mad. Like if there's any time to be a slut, it's fucking college. Like you, but <laughs> I was in a Bible college. There's no like slut to be found there, but yeah, still, yeah, I felt yeah. deprived. Um, and so, yeah, I was robbed of that. And but so, and I remember, I mean, I've never told anyone this and I'm like slightly embarrassed to say this, but this is how much of a Jesus freak I was. I remember like in college driving my car and putting my hand in the passenger seat, like I'm holding the hand of Jesus. I'm like, I'm dating Jesus until I find my husband. Like that is how hardcore no. I was. It's yeah. so embarrassing. And now yeah. I'm like, was Jesus real? I don't know. Like that's how 
that's the other extreme I've made. I'm like, I don't yeah. know if he was real. Was he the son of God? I think we're all God's children. So what makes him so special? Like, I, I mm. just I question everything that I was taught about him. Yeah, we, we had uh, Dr. Jennifer Bird, uh, who's still a Christian, and uh, she's a strong Christian, and she's uh, a Bible scholar. And she said that she went from from dating Jesus in college. So she'd go on dates with Jesus, um, where she would go to a cafe and pray and, and all that stuff. Um, and she kind of rebuked her mum when her mum when her mum uh, was getting ordained as a pastor. Like, she's like, how, you know, you know that this isn't okay. The Bible says, that, you know, and now she's a big time um, ally for LGBT folks. She writes about gender, sex, and marriage within the Bible. Like, she is like hardcore, like, cool. She's really cool. She's going to be on the panel, actually, the mm -hmm. slavery panel that's coming up. Okay. Um, so did you, did, so when you left the church, do you have any funny moments about getting judged by the church members? Uh, or family? It was interesting. When I left the church, it, no one said anything. And it's like kind of ideal, but also heartbreaking. I'd spent um, six years, seven years of my life there. I was in the nursery. I was in the high school. I spoke to the high school. I was speaking to my church. I was involved everywhere. I held their babies, taught their teenagers, spoke to the church. And like no one said anything when all of a sudden I was gone. And I was like, really? I poured my entire heart, life, and soul into all of you for six, seven years and not a word. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. Do they all get catch wind that you were like doing um, like nude modeling and stuff or was it? Oh yeah. Cause they all followed yeah. me on Facebook and that was part of my <laughs> terror was like, if I want to do this, there's no way of doing it sneakily. Cause like everyone and their mom follows me on social media. And so that's when I decided to write a coming out post to kind of like be very clear about what I'm about to start or what I've already started. And if you want to join me for the ride, hop on. If you are offended or just, you know, dismayed, please unfollow or unsubscribe now and just kind of put that out there. And that's when I think I got some like, oh my God, you're 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 an embarrassment for Jesus or come back to the church or you're, you've totally lost your soul. I got some messages there. But I think most of them were kind of shell-shocked and, like, didn't mm. know what to do. And I feel like I kind of, like, I feel like they're all, like, watching. Like, I'm their reality TV show they turn on at night. Like, they're trash TV they don't ever want to admit to. Oh, um, half of them are probably masturbating looking at your stuff anyway. Like, how, like oh it's probably God. not even. <laughs> it's so true. I always say I, I just do in public what they do in private. And that's what yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I own it and they try yeah. to keep it a secret. Yeah, and you probably do it way better than they do. Like, they're yes. probably, yeah. like let me help you with that. Here's my, <laughs> yeah. my JOI video. I'll help you. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know who, like, I don't know who this was, but someone was in the chat saying, like, you have you just before saying you have a porn star on. You know the truth, like to me, and I'm like, I don't think you know who I am. Like, who I? I muted them, and everyone was like, they're a troll, and 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 someone said, uh, and Derek said, um. Uh, Jesus squirts. So yeah, that definitely would set them, <laughs> set them away. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I was like, "What the?" Heck? But it's like, I was like, "Do they know who I am?" What? what, what this is so strange. Uh, anyway, um, obviously they don't know uh, enough about me. But um, so you you raise children now in a, in, a, in a sex positive home. Do, have you lost relationships with your like family, like your other, I guess your parents and siblings and stuff like that? Have you lost a relationship with them a little bit? Yeah, all of them. Really? Mm -hmm. And I lost my three best friends. So oh, my. This path did not come without cost. And it's probably the most painful thing I've experienced in my life. And yet, like, people like will say, well, do you regret it? I'm like, absolutely not. I don't regret being true to me. 
I regret that my people couldn't love the real me, the real me. Whoa. So like, do you, that's, that's crazy. So do you have no relationship with them at all anymore? Is that on their behalf or on your behalf because they wouldn't stop preaching to you and or something? A mixture of both. Some of them completely cut me out right away. And that was that. And I only learned when I found out like, oh, my texts aren't going through. I've been blocked. <laughs> like, oh, snap. Oh. Um, and then somehow, but yeah, they kept coming at me. And I, and I wrote them like, I love you, but this is really harmful for me. And until you're able to like kind of check yourself and like, be in a better place and can treat me like a human. Like we can't talk. And so then I block them. So it's kind of a, a mixture of both and both are equally heartbreaking. Whoa. What's that old quote? It's like, there's no, there's no hate like Christian love. Oh, and God, it's like, <laughs> geez, that's really rough. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry that you've gone through that. That's, that's, um, yeah, me too. that's horrible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been really painful and yet, you know, maybe someday we'll have a relationship. I don't know, but, I think part of it was, it was really good for me in the sense, I think sometimes when you're constantly being battered or hounded, it's really hard to figure out where you stand and what your boundaries are. And finally, when all that noise is kind of eliminated, you get really clear on, oh, this is what I will tolerate and this is what I won't, or this is mm. like non-negotiable and this is negotiable. Like you kind of get to heal when you're no longer being harmed. And I, I can see myself getting to a point where I've healed enough to where I'm like, okay, maybe I open that door again and see what can be arranged. But I don't think that healing could have happened while I was still being harmed. Mm, yeah. Wow. That's, that's really, it's really brutal to hear uh, when that stuff kind of happens. Um, th that was always a fear for uh, myself and my wife um, and Amy. Um, when we kind of deconstructed our faith, like would our family still accept us as family or like, would they do what the Bible says, which is not to even eat with someone who called themselves a believer. Um, and now doesn't, um, yeah, it was, it's a really scary thing. And I'm, I'm so sorry that that's happened. Um, and that kind of answers your question that you asked a little bit ago, like, should there be more conversations ahead of time? And I, and I do tell women, like, if you go into this, just be aware. Like if you come from a really religious or controlling or fearful family, are you okay with them not supporting you? Are you okay with them cutting you off? Are you okay with cutting them off? Like these, these aren't conversations that are had very often because I think we don't want to admit that. Um, but I think it can help prevent people getting into situations that maybe they don't want to get into. Because some women just like, oh, I'll just play with it, not knowing like their whole family is going to explode over it. And is it mm. like, you want to play with it? Is it worth it to you? If it is, go for it. But if it's not worth it to you to play in it, maybe there's another thing you can do. So I think just being really honest with yourself about what am I okay with happening from here? Um, and, you know, people get fired. Women have gotten fired for starting an OnlyFans. I have a dear friend who's a teacher in Indiana. and She got fired for starting an OnlyFans and she was just playing with it. She was like, I can maybe make some side money um, and lost her only source of income. And so it's like, you definitely want to think it through. And I don't want you to operate from a fear-based mentality, but I think just being really honest about what can you handle um, yeah. if these things happen to you. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I, I often think that one of the problems with the, with, um, you know, the adult entertainment industry is there's no way for someone to, once something is out there, it's always out there. There's no way for someone yes. to like take it Absolutely. back. I would love for there to be some form of like NFT technology or something mm -hmm. that someone can retroactively 
say, hey, I don't want to know. I no longer want these things to be on the internet. And then it and it does like a really good job of removing those mm -hmm. things from the internet. If there if there wasn't the ability to like make it so like you know people could save your content, like I mean, obviously people could still probably screenshot or something, but you can make it really difficult for someone to be able to keep your content or a lot more difficult than it is now where you just save a video or you just it's just on a million websites like content id if, if that could happen um and i think it is getting there but i think that would solve a lot of the problems because i think there is something to say about the retroactive like looking looking and saying i don't want to share this part of my life anymore but it's still there do you know what i mean there are, like there are people who uh who's that really popular there was a really popular porn star mila um she she I forgot what her name was. Um, she would dress up in like um, burkas and stuff, or um, uh, Mia. Uh, someone to someone tell me. Someone tell me. But know. um, yeah. but she she would um she couldn't get a job after she she only did like eight scenes or something, and she couldn't get a job afterwards because she was so popular that everyone recognized that she she would start jobs and then they would fire her because it would bring too much unnecessary attention to um, the company and to and, and it was she said it was horrible. And it's like if that if if her content could be um, removed, um, like after the fact, like if you should say, "Hey, I no longer consent to this being out there." Not only does it give the people more agency, but it it, it helps. Uh, you know, it, it just gives them more agency. I think that's the yeah. And thing. I think like part of the solution to that is like decriminalizing sex work. Like these women are being fired or not getting jobs because of stigma. Because at the end of the day, sex workers have incredible social and professional skills. We know how to do customer service. We know how to engage. We know how to get rid of customers. Like we are so, we know how to make, turn anything into money. We are so good. We are an incredible asset to any business and company that, and like, if it comes with all this attention, that's actually good for you. You have all this press yeah. that you can like turn around and utilize for your good, but because you have so much sex shame and stigma that you then, instead of addressing your internalized Horror phobia, you fire the woman whose only sole income, like that was it for her and her babies. Like my mm. girlfriend who's fired from her teaching job, she's struggling with her, she and her children. She's the sole provider. And like, and a man bought her photos, subscribed to her page, bought her photos, and then distributed them. I like, posted them on Facebook, sent them to her employer. And like, why isn't he the one getting in trouble for leaking content and publishing it publicly? And this is like, yeah, that, that, that should be. A crime right that, 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 that's yeah. the crime not her and i always tell people there's nothing wrong sharing a, a nude photo what's wrong is when someone leaks that and so mm. i think decriminalizing sex workers and sex work and then criminalizing people who do crimes like that it's we've got it totally backwards and that's what's so mm. heartbreaking is like my sex worker friends are some of the most brilliant compassionate women i've ever met and yet they're the most punished and the men who do things to them get off scotch-free that's backwards mm. yeah it's 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 um it's it's very bizarre the world we live in it's definitely very bizarre um is so is prostitution illegal in the states yes that's oh, so yeah, weird in, to me in, is it in australia it's decriminalized right yeah we've got brothels we got brothels here like they're not on like the main street but like like I had a friend who, um, a friend who had a friend who worked at the brothel and she said she went in with her and it was amazing. She said it was, they got beautiful rooms. There's like, it's all like really clean and it's like, it's all 
you know the the um, the sex workers they they uh, everyone gets um, tested they they all like they there's all safe sex there's bounces like it's all safe it's um you know and it's <laughs> yeah but it's like you know I mean but then we still have some weird things like in South Australia it's illegal to own pornography if the women have a cup breast size if their breasts are a cup it's illegal for you to own that pornography because it's too close to children that's only in south australia it's it's very weird it's very it's very strange um it's very strange but um yeah we have prostitution it's weird to me that america doesn't have prostitution i know we're like so progressive and so we're so backwards in so many ways we're a weird economy yeah yeah we don't have guns like it's very hard to find a gun (laughs) that's how it should be it's It's easy (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's so it is so backwards in that area. <laughs> yeah, it's um definitely different um different perspectives. I, I heard I don't know how true this is. I have a friend who moved to Malaysia, I think, or, or a country, and then moved to the Philippines. And one of them was influenced by um one country, and one of them was influenced by another, and one of them was influenced by the US. So you, I think it was the Philippines, and she she first went to the Philippines, and she would hear these like coconuts falling at night. Um, and she was like, and it was very, a very Christian nation. And, um, and she was like, oh, you know, coconuts. And she found out later there were gunshots. Um, and there were like, she, her family had guns all over the house. She slept next to a, um, a, a, some sort of a sniper rifle because, her, you know, like, and it's just like, whoa, I was like, this is hectic. But she's like, in Malaysia, it was a, it was a very, um, it was a, a Muslim uh, inspired country. They hadn't, they didn't really have guns. That was all new to her, but it was so different how, I don't know the Christian nation had all the. I don't know. It's just. It's just very strange how different countries influence other countries, and yeah. Um, yes, and America for being a Christian nation, teaching the love of Jesus while like carrying guns. It's like it makes no sense to me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I remember watching as an Australian. I remember watching Michael Moore documentaries, which they're they're a little bit very they're very inaccurate now i've realized but but one of the things i noticed was i was like i remember watching one of them and i was like wait i was like why are the gun people talking about jesus aren't they the bad ones and i and i couldn't believe to me that a christian would own a gun like i'm like i'm like jesus said those who live by the sword die by the sword he he rebuked peter for protecting the son of god like how can you how can a christian own guns it was bizarre to me and then i found out like they were the ones pushing and i was like I was like, what is going on here? It was, and I know that there are people going to argue in the comments that I'm, I'm misunderstanding things and I probably am, but it was just as an Australian, it was very weird to me that, that the Christians were the gut, the pro gun people and the atheists or the people who weren't necessarily believers were, yeah, it was very strange. Yeah. It's like we teach forgive your, or the scripture teaches forgive your enemies, bless your enemies. And Christians are like, let's kill those motherfuckers. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> There's a disconnect here. I'm not following this train of thought. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as we're just wrapping up, um, I wanted to ask you about your um, coaching. What do you do for your coaching? Oh my gosh. So I work one-on-one with clients um, and I teach digital courses. So it's for people, people typically come to me for a couple of reasons. Come, a good chunk of them come to me because they want to make a shit ton of money. I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about helping people monetize who they are and what they love doing and to help you make a shit ton of money. I think it's, I think it's so doable. Um, easier than we've ever been taught. And then other people come to me because they want to live a fully expressed life because they watch me. I do adult, adult content full time and I have a very successful life coaching business. And people thought the opposite would happen, that once I got into life coaching, no one would want to work with me. Once I got into adult content, everyone came to work with me. 
because they saw like she, you're doing authentically, you're doing it in integrity, you're doing it passionately, and you're a great mom, and you're a great partner, and you you're running a coaching business. Like, how do you do that? And so I have all kinds of courses, as you can see here: become a money magnet, absolute confidence, um, become a viral sensation. Um, currently, I'm teaching my signature embodiment program called Sexy and Free, which is all about a life of pleasure, profit, and power. Um, and I love it. I love helping people have the life of their dreams. And that's what I get to do with it. How to unfuck yourself. I love, yes. you, know, you just need to write a book. You just need to write a book <laughs> on that because the, 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 the thing at the moment is if you just put fuck in the title, you'll sell a million copies, right? Because yes, it's, like, it's like doing, yeah. all the F words. All, who knew yeah. the word I was told to never use is like the most profitable and powerful world word I could. <laughs> My my friend uh, my friend Colin he's always wanted to be a writer and um, he's got a he was the, one of the first guests on Deep Drinks he's closeted for forty five years I met him in ministry college and now he's out and happy in a relationship and I said you just need to write a book doesn't matter doesn't matter what's he's a great writer I'm like just just put something out there but you, you, you just got to call it I'm fucking gay and then it will sell like that's all you need to you know I mean? like we're in the time oh. for it I got a marketing background I know this will it will sell yeah um, I love it. Cool. So, um, just and also for everyone who is watching, we are doing. Uh, we got one more deep drinks um, at this stage until we have the slavery panel on. Um, let me just show it. But we're going to be talking about biblical slavery. Um, does the Bible condone slavery? And we're going to be sending out some some shorts this week that I've got five ready to go, and we're going to be um, kind of getting these apologists to kind of forcing them to answer the question. Uh, this is going to be an amazing panel. Um, we've got five PhDs, all Bible scholars, all experts um, who are going to be discussing this. Uh, and coming up um, midway through the week, questioning Islam um, with critical faculty. This will be a good episode as well. He was a Muslim and now he's not. And I imagine that if he went to a few countries, he would be uh, sentenced to death. So that'll be an interesting uh, conversation to have. So make sure you subscribe and make sure you check out the Patreon. I also need to say, guys, um, let me just um, let me just excuse me for a sec. I don't have the link up, but um, we have a pope. <laughs> we have a pope. So deep drinks. Obviously, uh, we have different um, uh, different memberships, and the last membership that you can get is the pope. And there's only one, and it's been sold out. So this stream is actually sponsored by Papa Aaron. Here, let me just scroll down and show everyone. These are all the um, so Papa Aaron Colson, he is the Pope of Deep Drinks, and this stream has been blessed by him. And every stream from from until he is no longer the Pope, and another Pope comes comes in. So thank you, Papa Aaron, for blessing this stream. So guys, if you wanna if you wanna join in, we've got a few more spots um, for the um, twelve founding members. So if you wanna become a member of Deep Drinks, make sure you go um, a patron. Make sure you go subscribe. Uh, so yeah, um, Nicole, I have a few random questions for you. I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Um, I'll start off with a I'll start off with a with a fun one that I, I ask a lot of guests, but I I wasn't going to ask you, but I think it's 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 probably you're you're introspective enough that I think it might be an interesting answer. What is the most plausibly true religion you don't believe in? Oh my god! Wow. Um. This is going to sound silly and it's not a religion, but I'm like science. 
because (laughs) I wasn't taught like real science growing up. I was taught like Christian science. Like God was the reason for everything. I was never taught like actual science. And like my partner is brilliant in all things science. And he'll literally like do diagrams for me on a whiteboard. Like here's atoms, here's cells, here's how they interact. Here's how they create this. And here's how they create that. And every time I watch it, Malika, hi, thank you, my love, love you. Um, Every time I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And yet I still have this reservation to believe it because I've been taught to fear science. So science is probably my religion. And yet I'm still grappling with totally wrapping my head around it. Well, that's, that's great. Um, did, did, Nidhi asked a question a while ago, but he said, were you a young earth creationist or someone asked a question, were you a young earth creationist at one stage? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so Dude, was it, was it wild when you, cause I was the same. Was it wild when you started learning about like evolution, but not from the church where it was like, yes. I mean, I still get sweats over it. When people start talking about evolution, I'm like, because I was taught evolution was a bad word and it was all fake and all made up. And I still like break out in sweats. I'm like, oh, wait, this isn't bad. This isn't wrong. This is like actually accurate and like, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have this funny story actually. I uh I got a huge tax return one year and sort of my wife and we're like, all right, we're gonna put our money towards our house, but we're gonna both take like five hundred bucks and we're gonna spend on whatever we want. And I think I spent like five hundred dollars all on books. I just ordered so many books. And there's this old trope going around that um that Hitler was an atheist, right? That Hitler was an atheist, and that's why he did everything that he did, which is couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. In fact, in Mein Kampf, he says, I believe I am doing the work of the Almighty Creator in exterminating the Jew, right? Horrible, disgusting. So I ordered a copy of Mein Kampf because I wanted to have it to be able to p- pick it up and point people to the part and be like, he says he's doing it on behalf of God. So I ordered this book, right? Because it's just, I'm like, it's just, it's there. I ordered it with a bunch of other books. And when it arrives, I'm sitting there opening it amongst my religious family. And I open it, I'm opening the books and I say, oh, and I remember it. And I go, I said, uh, guys, just um, know that there is a book in here that's that's evil. And I was like, I, I don't want you to judge me for it. And then one of them said, is it a book on evolution? <laughs> and, I like, and I was like, well, yeah, there are some books on evolution, but it's actually not. It's Mein Kampf. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's a yeah and I and, and I have to be clear I have it um for references and and I, I I even hit it in the back here because I don't want people to think that I endorse that um scumbag yeah. or anything smart, it's yeah. a historical thing for me Nitty asked uh if your kids are approached to believe in Jesus to get saved what will you say to them oh they are because um some of my family members have access to them um and who believe you know my children need to be saved and so it's really that's where it's pretty complicated but um they've asked me like mom do you believe in god and i've said to them like you know i used to now i'm not so sure what do you what do you believe sorry my kitty's knocking over my tripod (laughs) her cat um and because my my job as my parent is to keep my kids connected to their body and to their knowing because I was taught to be disassociated, disconnected, to listen and trust everyone outside of me and not my own truth. So I'm always pointing it back to my kids. Um, or like, even like the tooth fairy, they're like, mom, do you believe in tooth fairy or Santa Claus? Mom, do you believe in Santa Claus? I'm like, oh, I used to when I was a kid, but I don't anymore. What about you? Yeah, I think he's real. I'm like, cool. Like, I just want them to stay connected mm-hmm. to that knowing. And if they make comments like, oh, hell, you know, something about hell i'm like oh you know it's so funny i used to believe hell exists i don't believe it exists anymore mm-hmm. like i just yeah. try to plant seeds because i know if i try to like that's not true don't listen to them that like tends to make people dig in their heels right i just try to like 
And I used to think that I don't think anymore. And the whole time I'm like, <laughs> you know, cause I don't want them to believe that stuff. I don't want them to think they need to be saved. Why, what do they need to be saved from? They're perfect. They're whole, they're divine. They're complete. It's total bullshit. Mm. They've saved. But if people are telling them that I can't just outright come against it, I'm just like, Oh, I used to think that, but I don't think that anymore. What do you think? Mm. And hope it just keeps the door open for communication and dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I'm the same. And, um, in regards to that, like, with children, it's like, I was asked um, by family and friends, like, do you, would you mind if we took them to church and stuff? And at the start, I was like, yeah, no, I've got no problem. Like, no problem with that. And then I was like, ooh, I thought about it a bit more. And I was like, mm, uh, and I was like, I don't want them learning about hell or that they need to be saved. Like that there's something inherently that they're gum, that they created sick, command to be sound. I don't like that idea. And I don't like the idea that, um, they're, uh, you know, they're taught that, you know, science is a liar sometimes and all this stuff. So I was like, ooh, but then I thought, actually, what's probably better is we're going to be big travelers. We already are big travelers. We're going to be traveling around. We've got our temples. These people believe that, you know, you're, you get reincarnated as, you know, you remember, you know, back home with our friends and family, they believe that, you know, you, you need Jesus. And we're just going to pump them so much, so full of, um, knowledge that yeah. that none of these like fear-based tactics can like take yeah. grab hold and, and so telling them something's wrong when people say that like oh are you okay with like me taking your kids to church i'm like yeah are you okay with me taking your kids to an atheist camp and you know what they're gonna say no it's a double standard if you can teach your if you <sighs> want to teach my kids about christianity why can't or can i talk to your kids about sex work it's like, mm. so I, I, so I, that's what I would say to them. It's like, if you want to be able to do that, then how do you feel if I do this? And if it's a no mm. for you, then it's a no for me. Because that's, you're not actually caring about educating them and informing them of their choices. It's about indoctrinating them. And that's mm. not what I'm not available for that. Mm. Uh, Neil, the 604 atheist asked, if you were approached by me asking to come on my show, what would you say? <laughs> Probably. Yes. I could probably check <laughs> so out your account and check you out. And if, David vouches for you. That always helps. Um, I've been on Neil the Six Eight Four's atheist channel. He's it's it's great. It's good fun. Um, I love it. He's, he's a cool guy. So yeah, I, I, guys, send her an email, and if that doesn't work, send her another email. Um, yeah, like, I happens. told and David that. Like, I get so many pitches <laughs> that my email, my DMs get buried, and there's some I'll see that I'm like, I totally want to do that, and then it gets buried, and then I will never find it again. I'm like, if they would just send me a follow up email, I would see it and I could respond. So. Yeah. Persistence pays off. Not harassment, not stalking, no. but persistence. <laughs> yeah. And I, I tried to be very polite. I think I sent you like probably eight emails or something. First, uh, can you come on? Second, like, oh, I'm sorry, I missed our thing. Oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm oh, I'm so sorry. And then six months later, I'm really sorry. Would you give me another chance? You know, <laughs> and then obviously there's some some scheduling um, as well. But um, yeah, I think just being polite and and, and stuff and um nicole's a great person um so what would you give to your younger self if you could go back in time oh my first i was like i just want to hug her and i just want to mm -hmm. say you're right like these desires you have and these questions you have and this knowing you have you're right because I, I feel like all i'm doing now is fulfilling everything i wanted back then these mm. desires and these questions and this this interest and this curiosity that I was taught to be ashamed of and to suppress. I just want to be like, you're right, honey. Listen to it. Do it. You're going to be okay. Mm. 
that's great that's great that's really that's really great um regarding and i guess this is the last question if anyone else else has any super chats um regarding your belief in god now obviously your belief in god has changed a lot what if anything would change your mind bring you back to the old perspective you used to hold if christians became the most loving people on the planet and they support sex workers and they support lgbtq people and they support equality and they fight they're anti-racist and um like if, oh, if that's never gonna that, happen jesus, <laughs> exactly. jesus will come back jesus will come back before that happens yes. if you become all that i'm in baby i'm in but not a moment sooner I love that you start with um, your advocating for human rights. Like, I and I love that. I love that that's your heart and it really comes through. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, Nicole, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we um, finish up this clip, finish up this episode? I just want to say thank you for having me and thank you for hosting these conversations that, I, you know, I hope it makes people think and reflect and, um, shift and shed layers of shame or hesitation and step into their truest selves. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to be reincarnated. I don't know, but like this, all <laughs> I do, we do have this one life. And so I really hope that the people who are listening really go after it and live the life of their dreams because they deserve it. And I do really believe it's available. Mm. Even if you are, if you, even if you are in a um, religion that maybe like does, I guess, squash some of your sexual desires, Still, still trying to enjoy it as much as possible. Enjoy whatever, wherever you are at in life. Nothing's ever perfect. Enjoy your life while you can. That's the advice I give myself mm -hmm. all the time. Have it. fun. It's an amazing Amen. life that we're living. Agreed. Amen. Amen. Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> bless. Thank you, Aaron. Hope Aaron. <laughs> See you guys.